Join me this morning in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, of course, chapter 1. Did everybody get a bookmark? Everybody get one? All right. These, these come from Adrian Rogers' ministry. You see that love worth finding? That's Adrian Rogers' uh, ministry that they continue, even though Adrian's been with the Lord for almost 16 years now. But uh, I got one of these in the mail, uh, I don't know, several months ago. Uh, some of the mail that I get, and they'll give you things like this. But this pretty well helps describe, and, and the, the verse down at the bottom is the eighth verse of the first chapter, uh, where Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And we'll be talking about the Lamb, uh, probably in the next week or two, uh, talking about the triumph of the Lamb. Now on the back, uh, you'll see something, and I'm going to refer to this in just a moment uh, to help you to see some things, but isn't that pretty? Okay, now while I'm preaching, don't be looking at that. All right. Okay, over the years, I've talked to several people that uh, they, they have a problem with Revelation, and I, and I understand that, but some people just pretty well dismiss the book of Revelation. There are some that, uh, and, and I'm talking about denominational-wise, there are some that do not uh, really refer to this book because they consider it total allegory and they they turn away from it because uh, there are symbols and there are signs in there and and they say those mean nothing uh, to the scripture and it's just all a story uh, some people believe that uh, when John wrote this everything that he put in this book uh, came to pass shortly after John wrote it and then there are others that, that see this in, in such a different light that they, they read through this, it frustrates them, and then they just, they just quit. They, they back up from it and say, I can't understand that. Now, truly, there are some things in there that you and I will read and, and we'll say, you know, I just can't understand what God is saying there. And there are so many places in the book of Revelation where you must understand certain terminology and certain things that are taking place at that time and why John would say what he said. We're going to try to pull those things together for you and, and hopefully help you to understand that this book of Revelation is a beautiful book because it describes for us exactly what God has in mind as we talk about the end of the world. Now, once again, when our uh, virus began last year, as it continued to progress and all of a sudden it began to spread itself throughout the world, we all began to hear the call of the fact that we're at the end of the age and God's fixing to destroy the earth and it's all going to blow up and it's all going to end and, and the earth is going to just go and it'll be no more. Well, I've got news for you. That's not what the Bible says. And so those kind of things we can just take and we can, we can dismiss. 
Now the word revelation comes from the Greek word and a lot of the things that John said, I'm, I'm going to help, hopefully help to translate those things for you so that we understand. But we've, we've talked about this before. The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. And this word apocalypsis uh, is, is the word that, that John used. And it uh, translates to us today apocalypse. And that is correct. But the problem with that word apocalypse is that right now it is misleading. The word as John used it means to reveal or to unveil. The word apocalypse as we use it is a transliteration of this word apocalypsis. Because you see apocalypse today means something sensational. Something that is, that is going to, uh, to destroy everything that is around us. Let me get something out of the way right quick. There is never a mention in the scripture of God destroying this earth. He's going to purge this earth by fire. Peter said that. The earth will be purged by fire. That's in 2 Peter 3. It will be purged. It will become a new earth. And what John says at the last part of this book in chapter 21 I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God. And it came down to a new heaven and a new earth. So when you see movies about the apocalypse, we've got the apocalypse where everything is blown up, everything is destroyed, everything is, is just completely wiped out. Or we have the apocalypse of this uh, disgusting thing called zombies. I hate that. It, it just, I, why people are so infatuated with zombies. I was, I was going down the highway the other day and there's a big black truck past me. And it had zombie stuff all over. Zombie hunter. Zombie. And I, I tried to look in. The windows were too tinted. I was wondering if a zombie was driving that thing. And they show this, the cemeteries, and all, the, all the, the graves are open. And then all these people come, well, halfway walking down through. Every, every one of them drag a leg or something, don't they? And they, they lean over to one side, and they got one arm up, and, and they try to... I've seen people like that, but I put them in jail when I found them. The apocalypse has nothing to do with zombies. It has nothing to do with, with the, the wars that, you know, World War III and we drop these bombs and we do this and that and the other. That's, that's not what this word apocalypse here is all about. Sometimes people read the book of, of Revelation to say, I, you know, I just like to find out who the Antichrist is. Well, I hope that you will read the book of Revelation to find out who the Antichrist is because that will get you through the book of Revelation and you will never find out the name of the Antichrist. But read the book anyway, will you? They, look, they, they search high and low in the Scripture trying to discover who is the Antichrist. Some people, they deal with the numbers that are in the book of Revelation. 
And there are some numbers that are going to stand out to us, and we'll look at, at one of them today. But they're, they're to, to try to bring revelation into the idea of numerology destroys the idea of what God is doing with this book of Revelation. And some people say, I'll just, I'm just flat not going to read it because I can't understand it, and it frustrates me. Okay, I'm going to ask you one question, and you answer me this. If the book of Revelation frustrates you because you can't understand it, how many of you read the Song of Solomon and understand it? Any takers? You know, I, I think I'm the only preacher on earth that talk, taught the book of Song of Solomon to a bunch of senior adults on a Wednesday night. Do you know how much fun that was, talking about the sexual relationship between Solomon and the Shulamite woman? Do we understand the book of Song of Solomon? If you leave it in the context, it makes perfect sense. But if you read it, you're not going to understand it. You read the book of Ezekiel, you're not going to understand it. And you read the book of Revelation, you're not going to understand it. You get over in the book of Numbers, and we don't understand that. In Leviticus, we sure don't understand as to why God would, would tell the, the children of Israel, this is how you are to build a camp, this is where you go to the bathroom, and this is what you do. And I'm, I'm not getting ugly, folks. That's just what it says in there. There is so much that we don't understand, and you can't let that keep you from reading the Word of God. So let's begin. Revelation, I've told you this before, keep it in your mind. Revelation is singular. Revelation. And John identifies the name of this book, the Apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. That's what this is in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. One of the things you need to keep in mind about this book of Revelation is that it is God's promise to the nation of Israel. Because the book of Revelation is to bring the, the nation of Israel back to Him before He calls a halt to what's going on in this world today. He is opening the door to the Jews to come back because they are His people, ethnic Israel. Now, some people that, that think the church is the new Israel, and, and you can make a case for that, but I, I don't see that the church is the church. Ethnic Israel is still the people of God, and God made a promise to them that He would not forsake them. And if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll find out that the, that the olive branch, Israel, when they turned away from Christ, God grafted in the Gentiles, you and I, have become a part of that wild olive branch, Israel, and a part of them as the people of God. In the Revelation, you're going to find God bring Israel and graft it back in to this olive branch. And you say, preacher, you can't graft in once something's already been grafted. Well, you may not, but God can. And that's what he's going to do. So keep in mind, 
God is going to keep His promise to ethnic Israel. Romans 9, 10, and 11. He's going to build that kingdom, and all of those in Christ are going to be a part of that kingdom. You read in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 2 talks about the peace that's coming to Jerusalem. Isaiah 4 talks about cleansing Israel. Isaiah uh, 11 talks about the lion and the lamb laying down and, and the animals coming together. Isaiah 19 talks about a highway to God. Ezekiel 37 talks about God reviving Israel. You remember the valley of dry bones? Son of man, can these bones live? Only you know, Lord. Speak to them. And he spoke and they came together, bone upon bone, sinew upon sinew. Oh, man, oh, son of man, can these bones live? Only you know, Lord. Speak to the winds. And when the wind blew and the breath of God blew back into those bones, they stood up as a mighty army. That's Israel coming back together. God will revive them. Joel chapter 3 talks about the peace that God brings to uh, the nation of Israel. Amos 9 talks about Israel and their land. And Micah 4 talks about the return of Israel to their land. Keep that in mind as we go through this. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. What I want you to understand is, is this as we begin. When we talk about the coming of Christ to this earth, hear me now and hear me well. It is always imminent. It could happen right now. I've always, I've always dreamed of standing in the pulpit and quoting John 3.16 and God takes me out of here. I can't think of anything better. Can you? Imminent. There's nothing left. God can move in at any time. Always imminent. It will start with God and God will move it. And He will move it according to His will. Now, I want you to look at verse 19 of this first chapter. Verse 19, if you, if you have a pen or a pencil, if you write in your Bible, you've got an eyeliner or some lipstick, you write this down. Verse 19 is the outline of the book of Revelation, the entire book. Verse 19 is the outline of the entire book of Revelation. Look at that, look at that verse. Now, we talked about 17 and 18 last week. Jesus said, I, I'm one, I'm the first and the last. I live and I was dead. I, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of hell and death. Now, he, stalked, he talks now to John. He's, he's woke John up, put his hand on him, speaking to him. And here's what he says to John, verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. That is the outline of the book. Now, I'll let you look at the back of your little deal here. Okay, now look at this. How, this is how Adrian Rogers defines this. The triumph of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. Notice that as he, as he does this, he talks about the vision of Christ, the church age, and he talks about the tribulation, and then the end of this as it was. Right up above the picture there of Jesus, you see that? Things thou hast seen. You see it? It's in the black. Right there. Then over to it, the seven churches, things which are. And then from the seven seals to the end, things that shall be the hereafter. 
Okay, there is the outline of the book of Revelation. And it's on the back of this, and you can see it. So, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about what this outline says to us and, and what it means as he goes on to say, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The outline begins thus. John, write what you have seen. Okay? What is it that he has seen? He has seen the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees him in all of his glory. Not not the one hanging on the cross, and not the one that walked out of the tomb. He's seeing him in his deity. He's seeing him in all of his glory. And so he says, John, I want you to write those things now of what you have seen. And so John begins by writing about the continuity of the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament. Look at verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. John remembers very well writing that gospel that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now he sees the Word of God. And he understands just exactly who Jesus is. And throughout this book, Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. In chapter 19 and verse 13, you're going to read where Jesus' name is the Word of God. That's who He is. He is God's Word incarnate. He is God's Word that has come to us. He is the Word of God that lives among us today. And He is the Word of God that is going to come and receive us. John now relates the promises that God has given and shows us the acts of God that are revealed in the book that are going to be realized through Jesus Christ. And so John is putting the Old Testament and the New Testament together so that these people can understand what's going on. And now he presents what he saw. And he saw these things from God. It didn't come from him. These are the things that God showed me. John testifies to the Word of God, and Jesus validates the message of God. Now look at verse 3. Many people talk about what is this book of, of Revelation. Talk about what kind of writing is it? What, what kind of book is it? And, and we, can, we can go through a lot of different uh, channels and we can talk about a lot of different things. But John tells us in verse 3. Notice this. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this. What? Prophecy. It's a book of prophecy. You see that? A book of prophecy. Blessed are those who read and, and hear the book of prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, the definition of prophecy, if you want to write this down there by that, the definition of prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Now, I read this these verses to you when we were in Daniel. But I'll read them to you again. Here's the definition of prophecy according to God. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying to my counsel, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. In other words, he said, 
I'll do as I please. From the beginning to the end, I do as I please. Because he knows the beginning, he knows the ending. God is not past, God is not future, God is present, all three. He has it all right now. And so he will do as he please concerning the things of God. The future that we're talking about, John is trying to exhort his people to expect those things that are going to come to him. All of us must listen to the word. Because he says the time is near. The time is at hand, he said. Now in in verse 1, if you look back up there right quick, and I waited to get here so that we could look at what they said. See that word shortly? If you read the King James, it says shortly, things which must shortly come to pass. And then in verse 3 he said, the time is at hand. Now that word shortly doesn't mean that it's going to come in the next few years. But basically what that, what that word means is that it is certain it's coming. It's suddenly coming. Not, not in a time span. But make no mistake, this is going to happen. And make no mistake, it is going to come quickly. Bam. And that's what that word means to us. This, this phrase, time at hand, basically that means the next major event that's going to take place. Now, we, we've come through the Old Testament. We read about that. We study it. We come through the apostles. And now we're in the apostolic age here in the writing of this. John is pretty well the last apostle that's even living and in this, this time that John is writing this, he said the next major thing that's going to happen is going to be what is revealed in this book. So take note. It's going to happen, certain to. And it will happen suddenly. And it will be the next major event for this earth. And that's what we're going to see in Revelation as he begins to unfold and reveal this. Now, let me show you something why you must read the book of Revelation. Ready? The book of Revelation has seven beatitudes in the book. Now, we just read the first beatitude. Now, watch this and, and follow along with me and, and write these things down if you want to keep up with them. The first one is in verse 3. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of his prophecy. That means blessings will come on you if you read and hear the words of prophecy and keep those things which are written. Okay, that's the first beatitude. The second beatitude is in chapter 14 and verse 13. Chapter 14 and verse 13. I use this scripture a lot at funeral services. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works will follow them. Blessings on those who die in the Lord. That's number two. The third one is in chapter 16 and verse 15. Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Blessed, he said, 
Behold, blessed, the blessing is yours when you watch and keep your garments pure and white. The fourth was in, in, is in chapter 19 and verse 9. Beginning of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Blessed are we if we are a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And of course, we're going to get into that. The fourth one is in chapter 20 and verse 6. The millennial has begun. And verse 6 says, Blessed are and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. The millennium. Blessed are those that are a part of the millennium. The sixth one is in chapter 22 and verse 7. Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Blessed. And the last one is in verse 14 of chapter 22. Blessed are they that do his commandments, and they, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter in through the gates of the city. You want the blessing of God? Read this book. Hear the words of this book. And this book will bring blessings to your life. The blessing that he's talking about is the number seven. It's the completeness. You want the complete blessings of God? Follow the words of the book. And follow what God has to say to us. And what is the blessing? As you read in, in verse 5 of chapter 1. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. If you've never been saved, you've never been washed in the blood from the Alpha and the Omega, the, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those that watch and hear and listen. And then he gives us the assurance of the completion of God's plan for believers. Verse 7. Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. He's going to come back, and he's going to stand on this earth. And we're going to discover, probably next week, that there's a difference in the rapture and the second coming. When Jesus comes back the second time, he's going to stand on the earth. And notice this, every eye, every eye will see him. When he comes in the rapture, he's going to stand in the air and the church will respond to him. But the, the world won't pay any attention to him, just like they've always done. When he comes back, he'll stand on the earth. And if you'll notice this, every eye shall see him. And even those that pierced him, they'll see him because he's going to call them to the great white throne judgment. They'll see. They'll know. He's not dead. He lives. And he's coming back to reign forever and ever. The earth will wail, he said. We'll wail because we have failed as the stewards of his creation. We'll wail because we have rejected his forgiveness. He never changes. We call it immutable. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I always exist. And we must be ready to see him. And then he gives us his glory. John, in verses 9 through 16, reveals the glory of Jesus Christ 
As John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day in verse 10, talking to his brothers. Jesus once again said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Then he said, write in, write in the book, send it to the seven churches. Verse 12 through 16 describes Jesus in his glory. Verse 12, he's standing in the midst of the church. Verse 13, he looks and he sees one as the Son of Man. He's clothed in a garment down uh, to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. He is dressed as a priest. He is dressed as a judge. He will either be your priest to receive you, your high priest, or he'll be your judge. Okay? Verse 13 or 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool and white as snow. You go back to Daniel chapter 7. And in chapter 7, he describes the Ancient of Days. His hair is white. His hair is, is, uh, is beautiful. And he has the Ancient of Days. And here he is described as the one whose hair is white, white as snow. That's his purity. And his eyes like a flame of fire. 1 Corinthians 3. If you want to write down beside that, you can read 1 Corinthians 3. And his eyes are going to penetrate our, what we've done for him. And as we stand in judgment for our service for him. Our works will either burn or they'll stand the test of the fire. There's the fire from his eyes. Verse 15, his feet is like unto brass. Brass symbolizes judgment as if they burn in the furnace. His voice has the sound of many waterfalls. His voice, nobody's paying any attention to God today, but you will when he speaks and the whole world will hear his voice. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of the mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That's the word of God. And his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. There's Jesus in his glory. He is the priest. He is the judge. And we're going to see what that happens. So now John has written what he has seen. The next thing Jesus said, write to things which are. Revelation chapter 2. The things which are. Jesus said in verse 11 and verse 20. Write to the seven churches of Asia. The seven churches of Asia. If I can get this to work. Okay. This, there's the seven churches of Asia. All right. Y'all can see this. John's right there. He's between 45 and about 55 miles from Ephesus. This is where John was serving. Here he is here, right there on that Isle of Patmos. It's, it's a prison aisle, and that's where he sat. And so he writes to the churches of, of seven churches of Asia. Here's Ephesus, and then you move north to Smyrna, and then you move on further north to Pergamum. You come down a little bit uh, further, and it's Thyatira, and then you come down to Sardis, and then over to Philadelphia, and down to Laodicea. He has, a, he has a route. He has a plan. That's the way he's going to go. Now, what I want to show you is, notice this. Here is Colossae. You remember Paul planted a church in Colossae. That is where he wrote the book of Colossians. Here is Hierapolis. These two cities, Colossae was known for its cool, cold water. Hierapolis was known for its hot water and its bath. And right in the middle of them, or Laodicea. Now see if that makes sense to you here in a moment. You see all the southern cities around? Troas, 
all down through here. You see these other cities? Why did he just write to those seven churches? Why didn't he write to the other churches? What about the church at Rome? What about the church in Galatia? You see Galatia right back over here? Paul, Paul established a church there. Paul, Paul probably had churches in the rest of these down through here. Why did he write only to those seven churches? Why didn't he include Rome? Why didn't he include Galatia? Why didn't he include Philippi? Why didn't he include all the other churches that were there? What is it about these churches that Jesus said, write to these particular ones? Well, I think that you and I can see that what, what we're going to find out about this, I can't turn that off, Dean. See if you can. What we're going to find out is that these seven churches, notice the number, completion, this identifies for us all the churches of every age. So we're talking about the church age here. When the church exists from the apostles to today. But why these seven churches? Could it be that the characteristics of those churches, those seven churches, identifies the characteristics of the church through every age in which we've lived. Even today, we have churches that are just like that. The seven churches of Asia, and they represent all the churches of all the ages, even unto today. Jesus is standing in John's vision in the midst of the church, and he stands in the midst of our church today. Notice what he does as he begins to uh, write, uh, tell John what to write. First of all, he addresses the messenger. Now, some people think those are angels. I don't, I don't think so. He is addressing the pastor of the church. Once again, it's, it's not just say, hey, look at me, but I'm going to remind you of something. Folks, there's going to be a day when I stand before God in judgment, and I'm going to stand in judgment for what I do at this church. And I've got to answer for it. And there may be sometimes you say, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Hopefully it's because of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to answer for that. And I'm going to answer for you. And I'm going to answer for what I've said back here. If I lifted up Jesus and told you about Jesus and, and tried to explain these things to you to help us to grow in the name of the Lord. So he speaks to the pastors. And then he identifies himself. Now you can read this in every one of these. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus. Under the angel of the church in Smyrna. Under the angel of the church in Pergamos. All seven of them, that's what he did. And then he identified himself. In Ephesus, he said, I'm the one that holds the seven stars and walks in the midst of the churches. In, in Smyrna, he said, I'm the one that was first in the land, I was dead and I'm alive. He identifies himself in each and every one of those churches. And then he shares the knowledge that he has of the church. And you can read that. I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. He does that to every one of them as to what they're doing. And each of those are measured against the standard of the life of Jesus Christ. Whether our loyalty was to Him or whether we just went on about our business and paid Him no mind and never served Him. All the churches today that are listed in, in Revelation 2 and 3 Coexist with us today. 
<coughs> churches on a mission. The Church of Philadelphia, the open door. Men and women that are martyred, and we have people being martyred every day for the sake of Christ, the Church of Smyrna. The church that has all the gods around them and they join in with the world and they kind of cool themselves off. You've left your first love, the church at Ephesus. The church that dressed like the world and just fit in with everything in the world, the church of Thyatira. And then there was a church that made it easy for everybody just to come and, and relax and not worry. And Jesus called it a lukewarm church. Now, you remember I told you that, that city, Hierapolis, right above it was famous for its hot baths and Colossae was famous for its cool water and right in the middle the water met and it was just tepid sickening you know what the open doors it's still happening but we've cooled off and we've made it easy for people to come to church We've got churches today that love to take in all the money they can take and get it all out of the people. And they'll say, I won't tell you about sin and I won't tell you how bad you're doing and I won't tell you about this and I won't tell you about that and everybody's going to go to heaven and everybody's doing be good and don't worry about what you do. We all make mistakes and we all do these other things and you just keep on doing what you're doing. Hot dog, go on and go about your way but be sure and leave me the money. I'm glad we're, I'm not in that position. These seven churches represent the churches even today. These churches could have represented the dispensational ages. And some, some really believe that. The church at Ephesus would be at the end of the apostolic age when the apostles had died out. And then the church of Smyrna rose, and that is the church of Roman persecution up till the time of Constantine in three-something. And Constantine then converted to Christianity, and thus you had the church at Pergamos. Constantine built a lot of Christian things in, the, in Israel, and you can see all of those things, and they'll tell you Constantine built this and this and this. But he turned the church into the world. He did, did all of that because of his mother. And the church became the church of the world, and it was uh, married to the world, became morally apostate, and that was the church of Thyatira. Then the church of the Middle Ages began to rise up, heretical, heretical, and then the church at Sardis was the church of the Reformation, that's Luther and Calvin and, and Zwingli and, and many of the others during that particular time, but only some of them, like those, were clean, the church itself was spiritually dead, and then the Philadelphia church is the church of the missionary, beginning with William Carey going into India, and then all the world began to hear the gospel as it opened up, and then we come into the church of Laodicea that sickened Christ. And that's where we are today. You see, every church of every age represents the church of this age, and this is the one we're concerned about here now. This age. And Jesus said, you write these letters to them, and you'll notice there are only two that Jesus did not condemn. Of the others, he condemned everything. He said, you either do this, or this will happen to you. You do this, or this will happen to you. And folks, we better listen to Jesus today and do what he says, or these things will happen to us as well. The emphasis of the seven churches represent the age of all of the church age. 
and is complete in those seven. We as the called out ones from the church are to complete the things of God because we are the bride of Christ and He is coming to receive us. The promises of the Old Testament never end. Romans 9, 10, and 11 teaches of the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David. All of us must think of Israel when we think about what's happening to us today. Luke, Jesus says in Luke 21, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, Paul mentions the same thing in Romans chapter 11, when the time of the Gentiles, and that means very simply this, there will come a day when the last person will kneel down and accept Christ as his Savior. When that happens, we're gone. God will take the church. I'll talk about that next week. But the time of the Gentile will mean that God is now opening the door for the tribulation to bring Israel back to God. That's his promise that he's made to ethnic Israel. Read the promise to Abraham in Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8. He'll never back up from that promise to Abraham to bless his people. And now, we come to the completion of the church age. John begins to write about the things which are to come after this. That's chapter 4 through 22. He's written about what he saw. He's written about what is. And now he will write about what is to come. Now let me ask you a question. When this happens, it's going to be something like you've never seen before. And it's going to come, like my old granddad used to say, and yours might have said this too. He said, Granddad, when are we going to do this? And he'd say, directly. Y'all ever hear that? Directly. And I knew I'd better sit down because directly didn't come easy for Granddad. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. There is going to come a day when the last person is saved and Jesus is going to part the sky. Are you ready? Are you ready for those things to happen? Where will you be? Where will I be? Will we still be alive? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Let me just sum it up with what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 25 in his Olivet Discourse. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. For at any moment, Jesus will come. Are you ready? If not, you can be. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Some of you may be sitting there saying, you know, I'm confused more now than I was. That's okay. Because God's going to straighten us out. What I'm wondering right now is, are you ready to meet him? If he were to come right now, are you ready? I know without a shadow of a doubt.
I'll pop right out of here because of my relationship with Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart, no matter what else you've done, religiously, it doesn't count. You've got to know Jesus. If you've never invited him into your heart, I'm going to give you the opportunity. You, pray, you bow your heart as you've bowed your head, and you pray this prayer with me in faith. Father, I know that I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus died for me, and I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. If you pray that prayer with me, I want you to get up right now. Nobody's looking. Don't you be ashamed. Don't let Satan beat you. Get up. Come right now. We'll pray. Tell you what you need to do. We'll pray it together. If you didn't pray it, come on up here and let's, let's get this right with God. You need a church home by letter, by statement for baptism. Come on up here. We'll work all of that out. You just come. Whatever God is laying on your heart, folks, we've got to prepare. And we've got to stand boldly because Jesus is coming again. Father, bless us now in this invitation. Give us the boldness. Give us the victory as we claim your presence with us today. In Jesus' name, as we stand together and as we sing, I invite you right now. You get up. You come. I'm right here. Come. Let me visit with you.